Our next guest won the uh, Costa for her stunning novel, The Hand That First Held Mine. Her debut, After You Gone, won a Betty Trask, and her third, The Distance Between Us, won the Somerset Mall. The Vanishing Act of Esme Lennox has just been chosen as one of the books uh, for the World Book Night giveaway. That is right, isn't it? <coughs> Nod, yeah, yeah. Uh, as I said earlier, a car did actually burst into flames um, uh, just after her, her last reading. And we were really sceptical about it. We were like, oh, there isn't a fire, there isn't a fire. And, um, and we, went, we went downstairs and there was this man uh, standing there watching his car burn. And there was petrol lapping at his feet. And he thought, well, it's a bit wet and a bit smelly. I'm going to get out. And as he got out, it burst into flames. Um, so it was real high drama. Um, and on that note, uh, she returns bravely tonight to read from her new novel as a work in progress, which is something she's never done before. Um, you're the first in the world to hear from it, which makes you and me very lucky indeed to be welcoming Maggie O'Farrell. Anyway, so I'm not quite sure how Damien uh, persuaded me to do this. I suspect him of using some form of mesmerism, <laughs> something like that, because it is literally something I never, never do. And I said to my husband the other day, I'm reading for my new novel, and he, his kind of jaw hit the table, and he said, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> he said, how did he get you to do that? He hasn't even read it yet, so he's slightly offended. Um, anyway, so this is from my uh, book, which I've just finished a first draft of, um, as yet untitled. And I find titles really difficult, so there's a pint in it for anyone who can give me a suggestion. <laughs> Um, I'm taking open the list is open. I'm taking suggestions. Um, it's set in 1976 in the big heat wave that hit Britain, um, and it's about a London Irish family um, and the dad, who's in his 70s, um, in the middle of a heat wave, which he's quite affected by and quite freaked out by. Um, he just walks out of the house and doesn't come back. And the whole novel is about the effect this has on the rest of the family, his wife and his three children, who of course are all grown up and they live all over the world, um, and they all have to come back to the family house in, in uh, Highbury. Um, anyway, this, the bit I'm going to read is about the eldest sibling, um, who's a son, who's called Michael Francis, um, and he is uh, currently having really terrible marital troubles because his wife, Claire, has just discovered militant feminism. Um, <laughs> it is 1976. So, and, and this is Michael uh, remembering his early days with Claire. When he'd first been taken to meet Claire's parents, the thing he'd been most struck by was how nice they all were to each other, how extraordinarily polite, considerate. The parents called each other dearest. At dinner, her mother asked him if she could trouble him, would he mind awfully passing the butter? It had taken him a moment to decode the grammar of this sentence, to grope his way along its abstruse, semantic meanders. The father fetched a scarf, silk with a pattern of brass padlocks for the mother when she mentioned it was chilly. The brother talked voluntarily about the game of rugby he'd played that day at school. The parents asked Claire Bear, as they called her, about her essays, her lectures, the dates of her exams. The food came in China serving dishes, each with its own lid. They helped each other to portions and then seconds. It had amazed Michael Francis and made him want to laugh. There was no shouting, no swearing, no people flouncing off from the table, no silent brooding, no scramble for your fair share of potatoes. No spoons were thrown. No one picked up the carving knife, held it to their throat and cried, will I kill myself here and now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
He didn't think anyone in his family would be able to identify the vague area of his PhD, never mind get down a calendar and write the dates of details of his exams, never mind reel off a list of books that might be useful for him, never mind fetch these books in pristine leather bindings from their library. He found their inquiries as to what he was studying, how much teaching he did, whether he had enough time to devote to his PhD, induced a mild feeling of panic. He would have preferred them to ignore him so that he could eat as much as possible of this food, to stare around at the oil paintings on the wall, the bay windows that opened onto a sweeping lawn, to absorb the revelation that he was sleeping with a girl who still addressed her parents as mummy and daddy. <laughs> but they would not give up. How many siblings did he have? What did they do now? Where did he grow up? That his father was a doctor seemed to satisfy them, but the disclosure that he was going to Ireland over the summer seemed to cause surprise. Michael's parents are Irish, Claire said. Now, was it his imagination, or was there a hint of warning in her voice, a slight wrinkle in the atmosphere? Really? Her father turned his eyes on him, as if searching for some physical manifestation of this. He was seized with an urge to recite a Hail Mary, just to see what they would do. I am indeed, he wanted to announce over the artichokes, horrible, inedible, spiked things they were. I'm a paddy, a Catholic, a mick, a fenian, and I deflowered your daughter. <laughs> yes, he said instead. From Northern Ireland or Southern Ireland? He struggled for a moment with the desire to correct Claire's father. It's the Republic of Ireland, he wanted to say, not Southern Ireland. The, uh, he swallowed, the South. Ah, but you're not IRA, are you? <laughs> his hand, carrying his fork to his mouth, stopped. An artichoke leaf hovered in mid-air. A drop of melted butter fell to the plate. He stared at the man in front of him. You're asking me if I'm in the IRA? <laughs> Daddy, Claire murmured. The man smiled a quick, thin smile. No, merely whether your family is. <laughs> whether my family's in the IRA? Just an offence. Just an inquiry, no offence intended. He had Claire that night at one in the morning on her flowery bedspread. <laughs> he gathered up the corn-coloured silk of her hair in his hand and held it to his face. And when he realised he hadn't used a condom, he was glad. He was angrily glad. And next morning at breakfast, he was still glad as she sat there, irreproachable in a sprigged summer dress, on a straight-back chair, helping herself to scrambled egg and asking her father if she could pass him anything. He was less glad, three weeks later, when she came to tell him her period hadn't come. <laughs> Even less glad when, two months after that, he'd gone home to his parents to tell them he was getting married. His mother had shot him a quick, assessing look. Then she'd sat down at the table. Oh, Michael Francis, she'd whispered, her hand held to her forehead. What? his father demanded, looking from one to the other. What's the matter? How could you do this to me? What? his father shouted again. He's knocked someone up, <laughs> Aoife muttered, flicking a page over in her book. Eh? Knocked someone up, Dad, she said loudly, lolling on the sofa, her flawless 15-year-old limbs sprawled over the, armed, over the arms. Impregnated her, put a bun in the oven, got a girl in trouble, done a... That will do! His father roared at her. Aoife shrugged a shoulder, then eyed Michael Francis as if with new interest. Is this true? His father demanded, turning to him. I, he opened his hands. This was not meant to happen, he wanted to say. She was not the one I was going to marry. I was going to do my PhD, sleep with everyone I could lay my hands on, then go to America. This marriage and baby was not part of the plan. The wedding's in two weeks. 
two weeks, his mother started to cry. In Hampshire, you don't have to come if you don't want to. Oh, Michael Francis, his mother said again. Where in Hampshire, his father demanded. <laughs> Is she Catholic, Eva said, swinging her bare foot, not looking up from the book. <gasps> their mother gasped. Is she? Is she a Catholic? She, she glanced across at the picture of Our Lady that hung on the wall. Please tell me she is. He cleared his throat, shooting a furious look at his sister. She is not. What is she, then? I, I don't know. C of E, I guess. But I don't think it's a very important part of... Their mother lurched from the table with a wail. Their father slapped his newspaper against his palm. Aoife said, apparently to no one, he's gone and knocked up a prod. <laughs> Shut your bloody mouth, Aoife, he hissed. Mind your language, his father thundered. This will be the death of me, their mother cried from the bathroom, rattling the bottles of her tranquilizers. You might as well just kill me now. Fine, Aoife murmured. Who wants to go first? Thank you. So that, that went well. <laughs> How do you feel now? It feels strange reading it. I was actually editing things out as I was going. So I think it's always... Uh, I noticed that because I'd read it before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I cut a few bits out while I do it. So I'll have to remember those bits and uh, score them out in the manuscript. Um, obviously, you know, we all feel very special and privileged and we want to know more. Um, I, we, we, we emailed about the particular horror of the use of the middle name um, in, in the Catholic family. So when, you know, my, my Catholic grandmother, whenever I saw her, I mean, particularly if I'd done something bad, I would be Damien Leighton Barr. Um, I was never Damien Barr, it was always Damien Leighton Barr, and, and all, you know, all the time. And it was, but it's particularly um, you know, a, a West Coast of Scotland kind of Irish thing, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know what it is. In fact, I remember saying this to you, I find myself doing it with my kids now, and it's something I have to really fight. Really? My son is Saul Seamus, which has a particular... Oh, that's kind of harsh. Ring to it. Yeah, and if I say that to him, he kind of... He, yeah, he gets such a fright. It's like a sort of cattle prod. I've cattle prodded him. He stands up straight. So Saul Seamus is, is when he's been, if he's been yeah, naughty. Yeah, exactly, when he's been naughty. But I still... Yeah, my mother still says, Margaret Helen, if I've done something really oh, bad. Oh, Margaret Helen yeah. O'Farrell. You've been a very bad girl. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, she reads this book, I tell you I'm going to get called Margaret Helen. Why is that? Well, she's not going to like it, I don't think. I don't know. Maybe it's slightly too close to the bone. For her? Maybe. I don't know. No, I mean, it's not autobiographical at all. I've been deliberately making it not. But it is about a British-Irish family with three children. <laughs> so I, I'm slightly worried. Slightly worried. But, you know, it'll work out somehow. Well, you mean, you know, you've changed the names. And, inclu <laughs> and the middle names. names. What more could you What more could she want? God, there's a you boy know. in the family. See, there's yeah. no boys in my family. So, yeah. again, it's, it's already different. And, and it's and so it's happening in in the summer of 1976, and then the extract that you just read, you're harking back. Yeah, that's to set in the 60s. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And how much of it happened? I mean, that's the summer I was born. That lo that long hot summer mm -hmm. of 1976. So it's very resonant for me. A lot of it when I was my mum was pregnant with me that summer. And was I can't. That must be so awful for her. Mm, well, heat I'm sure she was fun. thrilled actually. <laughs> 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 no, but she was quite small, and she she actually what she was was interesting was that it, it, it resulted in a bout of intense religiosity she went to chapel all the time because it was cool oh it was really really cool in there my grandmother thought she was just like in confession central <laughs> and um and actually it was just because it was quite nice um cool, so so you've, you've done you've done the first draft mm. and 
what's that process like for you from here on in? Will you do a second, a third, a fourth? How, how does it work for yeah, you? Yeah, I do lots and lots, up to about 16, 17 what? drafts. What? Yeah. So I, I quite like the first, I always feel the first, writing the first draft takes about a year, year and a half. And then I always feel a bit, when I have it there, it's a bit like, I don't know, uh, a sculptor being faced with a block of marble. That's when I kind of think a lot of the real work begins. Right. I've got to whip it into shape. I've got a lot to take out. Um, how long is several it? Bit. At the moment, it's about that's over 100,000 words, I think. Okay. But it'll probably get longer. It'll probably get a bit longer, I think. Right. It's, quite, it's quite a long novel, this one. And, ha- I mean, when, when you've been writing in the past, has there been a, a, a character or an incident that's been somehow incidental that's come to the foreground in your, in your redrafting, or is it always kind of the same sort of focus that you think it will have at the beginning? I don't know. I think at the, mo- at the moment, I think the novel... Uh, I think I think I probably need the father to come into more sharp focus because at the moment he walks out in the first page. Um, but I think there needs to be more sense of his absence, so I need to work on that one. I think because at the moment everybody's coming in, the whole novel is kind of about his absence, but he's not absent and his present. There's no sort of presence of absence yet. So, so this is the father who's having the hard time in the summer of 1976. No, that's that's Michael Francis. Okay. Just but that's the his okay. son, his okay. dad. Okay. The kind of uh, the 70 year old uh, retired doctor. He just walks out of the. The old family home where he lives with his. So wife. that's a strike next door, or or a bonus possibly, <laughs> or George Osborne. I don't know. Um, um, so so you'll go back and kind of stitch him, stitch him into yeah, the story. Yeah, he needs to become a bit clearer, I think. And then the reason, the kind of revelation as to why he's walked out needs a bit of work on it as well, because that goes right back into the past, goes back to the Second World War. So I've been at, I've been in the archives of the Imperial War Museum, which is not a fun place to be. It's very interesting, but. I've been researching the liberation. Why is it not fun? Well, I've been researching the liberation of Belton. That's why it's not fun. That's why it's really not fun, which is fascinating, but horrific, absolutely horrific. But it's an interesting, because it's the only concentration camp that was liberated by the British. Mm. And they didn't do a very good job, I have to say. I think most historians agree on that now. Yeah. Something like 14,000 people died after they arrived. Wasn't that, though, I mean... I, I I have limited knowledge of this, but wasn't it because they overfed people and did you got it nutritionally? They well? gave them the ro- well. I think the l- the instinct of a lot of the soldiers who arrived, of course, was to give them their rations. Yeah. But of course, this was the wrong thing to do. Um, but it was also because they didn't get onto it fast enough. The British government weren't really British government. There's lots of documents now which prove that British government knew what it was. Yeah. And knew what was happening there, but they didn't really tell the poor guys in the tanks. So these guys arrived, not knowing what they were facing, and didn't really know what to do obviously because you needed they needed special medical you know medical trained people there and they didn't have it they didn't have the manpower they didn't have the drugs they didn't have the right food and so it was a bit of a disaster so our character the dad of michael francis is the doctor who arrives yeah. as a soldier or is he a soldier when he arrives no, or a doctor because they uh, what happened is that they put up lots of notices in london hospitals saying we need doctors urgently can anyone help and a lot of people and did that happen yeah that okay. happened yeah okay. A lot of medical students went in a uh, kind of month or two after the liberation in April. So Michael Francis' dad, he's called Robert, he goes, and obviously it has a very lasting effect on him. Um, and so you, you say, I mean, I'm still getting over the 16 or 17 drafts nightmare. <laughs> um, uh, but, y- you know, how, how, how long ahead are we, are we looking to you finishing this? I don't no know. pressure. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure. It's a bit. How long's a piece of string? I'm not really sure what it is yet. Right. No one else has read it yet. So. My You're all very lucky and <laughs> special. <laughs> my husband's usually a first reader, and then my editor, who's coming back from maternity leave in about a month, so I'm gonna put her to work straight away. Poor thing. Um, so yeah, I'll just see what their feedback is. 
pretty much work needs to be done. Do you have even a working title on your head? I mean, no, what's the file called? What's the file called on your computer? It's called 1976. Oh, <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> okay, um, I'll take some questions. So, um, it's a, uh, a good question, which is you live and are well, live with and are married to a writer. What's it like having two writers in the house, apart from quite a lot of arguments over who unloads the dishwasher? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it doesn't really. I don't know. It doesn't really feel. Does he like work from home? Usual. Do you work from home? How does it work? Yeah, we didn't use it. We used it until quite recently. We just moved to Edinburgh about a year ago, um, and up until then, we were we were working separately, living together, working separately. But now we're living. We're working in the same house. Um, which is, I don't know, it's, it kind of just feels normal to us, I think. I think it's like any couple who have the same job, but there's, there's a lot less to explain in a way. I mean, if he walks into my study and I say, I can't talk to you now, he doesn't get offended, he just walks out again. Um, and I think it's, I don't know, it doesn't really fit. And also, I've known him, for, I've known him since I was 18. We weren't actually together then. Um, we were kind of friends for a long time. So it doesn't really seem that unusual in a way. And it's actually quite handy having someone in the house who you can you know, give something to if you have an urgent deadline or... And also, you know, I think we write very different books, which is useful. Mm. And he's always... Um, I think I have a tendency to stray into slightly fanciful territory and he always just says, that's shit, get rid of it. That's rubbish, <laughs> that's shit. That couldn't happen, that's nonsense. You know, so I think he kind of... Uh, he makes me... kind of keeps me a bit more down to earth and perhaps I would be otherwise. And so you, you've known him since you were 18, but yeah. you ended up... You got together when you were... Yeah, a bit later when we were... 28 or something, yeah. And, and you were in touch all that time? Yeah, we were really good friends. Okay. Yeah. And so how does it feel now that you're with the person who was your really good friend? Have you lost a really good friend or is he still a really good friend? <laughs> we're still good friends. Well, it was funny. Is, I mean, it was one of those things that we, uh, it kind of happened and we got together and we decided to sit down all our really good friends and tell them. And we thought it was this amazing secret and they all just said, <laughs> that was really obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Kirsty. Yes, why 1976? Well, I don't know. I'm, it's tricky. I think it's one of those events in British history that's very burned into people's memories. When I was four at the time, and it is one of my earliest memories. It's one of my earliest dateable memories. I mean, I think your very early childhood memories are a bit nebulous, but I do really clearly remember the drought. We were living in Wales at the time, and so we had no water coming out the tap, and we had to get our water from a standpipe in the street, and... And I'm quite interested in the idea of extreme weather and what it does to people. It's interesting what you said about your mother turning mm. to religion or maybe the temperature of the church, but I think it does have a strange effect on people. I was quite interested in the whole volcano disaster a couple of years ago and how people reacted to it and how some people got angry and some people got fearful. And I think it's one of the few things that still affects us as a population. You know, and It has an interesting effect on what people do and it brings odd things to the surface, which is what happens to the father in the book suddenly this kind of intense heat brings back something to him and he walks out. And also, I mean, it affects everyone equally. That's, th that's the mm. other thing about it. You can be very rich or very poor and you're still, yeah. it's still, still 1976 no and still that summer. So one more question, Tom. First tell mine. Mm. It did win the course to Dia, yeah. How how has winning how if it has how has winning the course to change things for you? Yeah, he has too. <laughs> We've got a couple of course to winners in tonight. We can ask them all. But how how how, how is it how has it changed things for you at all? 
did you feel like, know, you know, what did you think on that day? Like, yes, I will never drink Starbucks again. Or <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no more so Frappuccinos. <laughs> so it's a, it's a very nice call to get. I didn't quite believe it, actually, I have to say. Who I called you? I expecting my editor. And she was really happy because she was about to go off maternity leave. So she was really kind of, <laughs> hey. She was like, all this happy pregnancy hormones as well as everything else. Um, but I did ex- keep expecting to get another phone call saying, <laughs> I'm sorry, we've made a mistake. Um, but I think it's one of those things, I don't know, I, I have to take a really ostrich approach to all that thing. You have to immediately forget it. And I actually remember a couple of days after that, and they, and they sent me the new copy of the book, which said Costa, whatever, and it was sitting on my desk as I was trying to write. And it really distracted me, but I had to turn it over because I just couldn't look at it. It doesn't, I don't think it's helpful to dwell on things like that, so I don't think about it. Why? Because you think, oh, I might I not be that successful again, or people have expectations, or you have expectations no, it's of yourself, that. I think or the idea that nothing. people have an opinion about you isn't, a, isn't okay. a useful one to writing. I have to kind of write in a bubble. I have to imagine that nobody's going to read this, just me and maybe a couple of my friends. Right. I think any idea that you're being self-conscious, you know, it's like walking a tightrope, you're going to fall off the minute but you think about it. But you used to be, you know, a reviewer. That must be incredibly mm. hard. Yeah, I think it's true. I mean, I never, I never ever read my reviews quite deliberately, even if they're really nice. You know, I get someone to read them for me, and my husband actually, and he just says they're oh good. God, your poor husband. That must be. That's not an <laughs> easy job, is <laughs> it? No, read my <laughs> reviews. I don't want to know if it's bad. Is it bad? I don't want to know if it's bad. <laughs> don't tell he me. Does. Is it bad? <laughs> He just tells me How it's good, good it? it's actually yeah. always bad. And if it's bad, he tells me who wrote it, because it's always good to know. <laughs> good to know who it, who's And for the there. two people who are here who have given Maggie bad reviews, <laughs> she'll be outside with the baseball bat now. I on know who you are. On that note, a huge thank you to Maggie O'Farrell. <laughs> <laughs>